0: Well, good morning. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Bertie Nets, uh, and I have the privilege of being on staff here at Community of Faith. And today we're gonna continue in our series, "Unshakable," talking about how we can learn from those that come before us. Sir Isaac Newton once said, if I have seen further than others, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. Throughout our lives, each one of us is influenced and shaped by a few particular people that we've come in contact with, people that we can be forever grateful for, people that have really shaped us to be the person we are today. And I want us just to take a moment to think back, to think back to that person or those people in your life. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend, maybe even a teacher, and it doesn't take us very long to see how different life would be had they never been apart. Isaac Newton was referencing scholars and other scientists on whose shoulders he stood to see further and to accomplish a lot of great things. But you can be certain that Isaac Newton also had a few personal giants as well, those on whose shoulders he stood and those on whose shoulders he leaned. Because standing on the shoulders of giants is more than just that. The giants in our lives are also those on whose shoulders we can lean when things are difficult, in times of uncertainty. Things just get really hard. But what we tend to do whenever we face difficult situations is we take a step back. We remove ourselves from those that we're closest to. That's the exact opposite of what we should do. Because we are built, we are made to live within community, with one another. In continuing our unshakable series, we're gonna be talking about how if we find those giants in our lives, if we learn from and lean on them, then no matter what we face, no matter how difficult life can get, we can be unshakable. We've been walking through the life of Daniel, who lived about 2,500 years ago. And when we meet Daniel, he's a 15-year-old kid who is taken as a prisoner of war By the Babylonian empire. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem and they defeated the Jewish nation. And when they defeated them, they decided to take 25% of the youngest and brightest of the Israelites to take back to Babylon in order to train them up in their ways. And one of those was Daniel. As you can imagine, life was difficult for Daniel in this time. He was having to leave everything he's ever known, all of his family, left behind, he was alone going to a dark place, not just to a foreign nation, but to an enemy, the place that just defeated his. You can imagine life would be very difficult for Daniel. But what we see, despite all of these circumstances in his life, Daniel is thriving. In fact, over a 70-year time span, Daniel becomes the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire In the world, Daniel, is thriving. But at the time we're gonna look at today, in Daniel chapter five, we see that the king that was in charge of Babylon whenever Daniel went to Babylon has died, King Nebuchadnezzar. And in his place is a new king, King Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is arrogant and he's prideful. Belshazzar is a terrible king for Babylon, He leads his nation away from strength and stability. He has all of this power and completely misuses it. We see during this time the enemies of the Babylonians sense weakness. They sense the weakest state that Babylon is in due to their king. The Medes and the Persians decide to come up with a plan of attack. What they decide to do is to surround the city of Babylon and wait for the perfect time to strike. However, Babylon is a pretty fortified city. It has the Euphrates River running right through the middle. It also has walls surrounding the entire city, 50 to 80 feet in height and depth. It's safe. Belshazzar knows that these two armies have surrounded his city, and he has a decision to make. How is he going to defend his land? What's he gonna do? But like I said, Belshazzar is arrogant and he's prideful. So he decides instead of trying to defend the land, they're fine. He decides, I'm just gonna help everyone relax. And so what Belshazzar decides to do is to throw a massive party at the palace so they can just forget about it. And that's what he does. He throws this massive party, and he invites what you could call, I guess, his 1,000 closest friends to the party at the palace to have a great time. And they all get trashed. They get super drunk. And during this time, Belshazzar comes with a great idea. As you know, anyone who has drank a lot always thinks they have a great idea, and so that's what he does. He comes up with this idea of exactly what they should do. He says, when my grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was in charge, when we sacked Jerusalem, when we took it over, he went into the temple. And when he went into the temple, he took all of the temple utensils, the goblets, all of that stuff. In fact, they've been in storage here for 45 years. Let's go down and get the goblets, and let's toast to our pagan gods at this party. We see this happen in Daniel 5, starting in verse 1. We can take a look. It says this. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups had taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. As you see, Belshazzar was not humble at all. And in fact, his lack of humility leads to his untimely death. He's going to die soon. And in this story, we see that for us to lean on and learn from those that come before us, to lean on and learn from those giants in our lives, we first have to maintain a humble attitude. We have to maintain a humble attitude throughout our entire lives because wisdom comes with being humble. And the reason this is important is because humility, being humble, and teachability go together. If we're not humble, then we're not teachable. In fact, we see that the The book of James uh, in the fourth chapter says this, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because if we're not maintaining a humble attitude in our lives, we will soon start to see everything crash around us. It's exactly what Belshazzar sees happen in his life. He's not humble He's not worried at all about two armies encircling his city. For us to not end up in a place like Belshazzar, we have to maintain that humble attitude, to lean on and learn from those that are going to help us to have a humble attitude, to help keep us humble, even when it's not easy to hear. I know in my life, one of the absolute best people, probably the best at helping to keep me humble, is my wife. She's really good at it. In fact, there was one weekend that I was preparing to teach the elementary kids, uh, and it was gonna be awesome. I mean, I was stoked for this one because I had this object lesson. It was gonna be this science experiment. I was gonna mix these chemicals together in this jar, and I was gonna show the kids what God does in our lives through it. I mean, it was gonna be perfect. I was so excited, had it all ready, and couldn't wait. I was gonna have those chemicals slowly fill that container. And so I came on a Saturday night, I prepared to teach, I went up there, I taught, and I thought everything went well. I, I mean, it went just how I was supposed to. Everything went according to plan, and I'll never forget this, but after I finished, my wife just came up to me and said, I don't know what you need to do different with that object lesson, but it sucked. Like, it was not good. You gotta do something different. <laughs> Man, that's not easy to hear talk about a little bit of humility now in her defense i do ask her to be as honest as possible to help me make things better but it doesn't mean it's easy for us to hear so listening to my wife's words of wisdom i changed some things up figured out a way to have it have that pow factor that the kids like they're like whoa that's awesome where it shoots out of the containers that it slowly creeps up and of course my wife was right it was way better She's right this time, at least. (laughs) Or every time, because she's sitting right there. (laughs) So she's always right. (laughs) But we need to surround ourselves with people that can help keep us humble, that help us see the world from a different perspective, to see things a little bit differently. Even when it's not easy to hear, we have to surround ourselves with those people that can do that for us. It's important. We see as the story continues in Daniel 5, things take... A little bit of a wild turn. In fact, they see a hand appear that is writing on a wall, but there's no body. We see in verse five it says this Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote. Now, at this point, all of the people are really drunk and they're probably thinking, man, there was something extra in those drinks we had. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. But they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. In fact, the expression, the idiom that we use today of the writing is on the wall is actually from this story right here. The idiom of there's a warning coming. Something's about to happen. We see that the handwriting actually is on the wall for Belshazzar. We see his response in the next verse. It says, his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. I love this last phrase, that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. It's just a really nice way of saying that Belshazzar soiled himself. You could say that he was moved. (laughs) He got diarrhea. I mean, it was bad. Now, I don't know about this expression, but this might be where the term, it scared the poo out of him, or you can use whatever choice word you would like. But he was pretty terrified. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what it meant. And so what do you do in Babylon when you don't know what something means, when you need a mystery to be unraveled? You call on someone. You call on someone who's come as a prisoner of war, became an intern, and then an administrator. It's Daniel. Daniel, at this point, has developed the reputation of being one of the wisest people in all of Babylon. In fact, the queen of Babylon says this about him in verse 12. says, Daniel has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So they call on Daniel, and he comes into the, the banquet hall and sees everything that's going on. He sees the writing that is on the wall and he begins to interpret it. In verse 25, we see what that writing was. It says, this is the message that was written. Mine, mene, tekel, parson. And Daniel goes on to explain to Belshazzar what those four words mean. He says that mene means numbered. That Belshazzar, your days have been numbered. And the repetition of mene twice means that they're numbered swiftly, that your days are soon coming to an end. He goes on to say that tekel means weighed. Belshazzar, you have been weighed on the scales of God and you've not measured up. You, Belshazzar, are not a worthy king. And he says that parson means divided. Your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. In fact, Belshazzar, what this is telling you is that your days are numbered. They're coming to an end. In fact, they're coming to an end tonight and you are no longer going to be in charge because you have not been seen as worthy. You're going to die. As you could imagine, this probably isn't something really easy to tell a king that he's about to lose it all. But what Daniel shows us here Is something really important. It's the second thing that we can do to lean on and learn from those around us. It's that we can put into practice what I've already learned. Put into practice what I've already learned. We see that Daniel, despite the situation he finds himself in, despite how difficult it could be to tell a king that he's about to lose everything, Daniel puts into practice what he has learned. He knows that he's been given this gift of reading and interpreting messages and dreams, and he acts on it. This is important because we haven't learned something until we do it. We haven't actually learned something until we do it. In fact, we see that Belshazzar didn't learn from the mistakes that he had seen Nebuchadnezzar make, the one who came before him. He had a lot of opportunities in order to see the mistakes, the bad things that Nebuchadnezzar had done, and to learn from those. But Belshazzar did not. He laid, he lived in his arrogance and in his pride. And because of that, he lost everything. We see that Daniel even tells Belshazzar this very thing. You are his successor O Belshazzar. You knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. It says you knew but you didn't learn because there's a key difference between us knowing something and actually learning it because we haven't learned it until we do it. It'd be like going to, let's say, a marriage seminar. You go to learn how to have a great marriage, learn all of these tips and tricks of how to make things better. Maybe you go to to marriage counseling and you get these papers of different things you can do with your spouse in order to make things better. But after you finish, you go home and you put all of those things on the shelf. You don't touch them. Does it change anything in your life? No, because you haven't learned it until you actually do it. The same goes for if you're gonna, say, start trying to work out. You see some workout video that you wanna start doing, you're like, this one's really gonna make me look like that person that advertises it. So you get all ready, you're excited for it, You set your alarm for like four o'clock in the morning because it's the only time you can work out because there's no other time throughout the day that you're able to work out. But you set your alarm for four o'clock in the morning, you're super excited, it's gonna be awesome. You wake up, you're pretty sleepy. But you wake up and then you think, I'm kinda hungry. So you get some food and you sit down on the couch and you just push play and you watch the video. You think, man, I feel a lot stronger just watching this video, It's not how it works. Because we haven't learned something until we started to actually do it, until we put it into practice. We see, as the story continues, Daniel receives exactly what was promised by the king. He promised that whoever can interpret the message would be able to raise and rank. We see that in verse 29, it says this. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, And a gold chain was hung around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. In fact, archaeology now tells us exactly how they invaded Babylon. Instead of trying to tear these walls down, what they did is they focused on the river that ran through the middle they decided to divert the water of the river so the water levels could lower and they could get in underneath the wall. And that night, over 2,000 years ago, the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon. And Belshazzar was no longer king after only two years. We see that Belshazzar was not the wisest of leaders. He wasn't the wisest king. But the interesting thing in this story is why would they turn to someone like Daniel, a foreigner. We see that Daniel was in a difficult situation in which he had to leave everything that he had ever known. But he continued to thrive. Why? It's because Daniel did the third thing that we're talking about. What he did is he decided to learn the lessons of the prior generation learn the lessons of the prior generation. That even though he was in a foreign country, a foreign place, he still took time to learn from those that had come before him, regardless of where he found himself. In fact, the the book of Job in chapter eight, it says this, just ask the previous generation, pay attention to the experience of our ancestors. For we were born but yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are as fleeting, as a shadow, I want you to go and learn from those that have come before you because there is wisdom in those that have been here longer. They've seen more, experienced more, done more, and students and kids, that means your parents actually do know what they're talking about most of the time. They've seen a lot more, experienced more, and there's stuff that we can learn from those. A really great way to think about it is this. All of the lessons are in the past. But all the opportunities are in the future. And we're not able to take hold of these future opportunities if we fail to learn from the lessons of the past. All of this can be summed up into one statement of how we can learn from and lean on those before us. And it's this, if I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I will end up making the exact same mistakes. I know in my life, who I am today, who I've been shaped by, is a testament of three men that invested in me when I was younger. There was one guy named Grant. Grant was a guy that helped me to see that if I actually care about something, I have to put my all into it. That I have to put into practice what I've learned. That I have to act on those things that are important to me. There's another guy, Wentz. Help me to see that if I'm not humble, I'm not gonna get very far. Help me to see that life isn't all about me. It's so much greater. There's another guy, Justin. Help me to see that at a time when I didn't even believe this myself, but that there is a God who loves me, and no matter how difficult things get, he is one that goes before me. And the reason that these three stick out in my life is because they were there for me at a time when I didn't even know who God was, a time that was difficult, a time that was hard. And above all other things, what they did is they took time to just love me, to be there for me. These three were the shoulders on which I stood, the shoulders that I leaned. Because standing on the shoulders of giants is not just a passive activity that happens. But it's men and women reaching out, encouraging others, and boosting them up, being there for them even when they don't have to be. And the thing about these three guys in my life is none of them could have filled the role for the other. They were all unique. Grant was a parent-like figure in my life. A guy that had gone before me had made a lot of mistakes but knew that God brought him through life in that way in order to encourage people like me to not make the same mistakes. Wentz was a pastor. Then he'd go to his church, didn't even care about church. But he cared about me and he helped me to see that God created me on purpose. And he created me for a purpose. And then Justin, Justin was just a guy that was my age, a peer, someone who was going through life the same time as me. And Justin and I have been through a lot of difficult things together, but the cool thing about standing on the shoulders of giants is it works both ways. The reason we have to surround ourselves with these people is because there's going to be a time when the shoulders on which you stand and the shoulders on which you lean, they need to stand on your shoulders, lean on yours. And I've been able to see that in my life, specifically with Justin. The cool thing about this story The special thing that we see in this story with Daniel. And the thing that we need to understand about our lives and those people that we interact with is that those giants in our life, those people, at some point, in some way, they're gonna fail us. They're gonna fall short. We're gonna fail others and fall short as well. But we see that Daniel continues to thrive no matter what he faces, no matter what he encounters, because he focuses on this one thing that there is one who goes before us all. There's one who knows our steps before we even take them. In fact, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says this Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. God goes before you in all situations in your life. And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if things are difficult or if everything's all right. But there's gonna be a point in which things are really hard when life's difficult when we are at a time of uncertainty, when we're at a time of pain, of fear, not knowing what is happening, and we sometimes may pray out to God, ask God, please help me, but we feel like he doesn't hear us, he doesn't care us, he doesn't understand us, that he doesn't love us. Maybe you've never actually looked at God as one you can lean on. What I want you to know is this, that the absolute most important thing that we could ever learn, that we could ever know in our life is a statement that you are made by God and you are made for God. And that no matter how difficult things happen in life, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what you're going through, even when you can't see the end, God created you on purpose. He created you for a purpose and he put you here for a reason. Surrounded with those that are around you for a reason. You're not a mistake. Because you have been made by God and you have been made for God and that means that you're special. You're unique. God loves you. He cares about you. In fact, he even sent his son Jesus to come and to die and take a punishment that you and I deserve because we do fail. We do mess up. But God loves us. And if we have seen further than others, it's by standing upon the shoulders of God and by leaning on his shoulders in those times of difficulty. When we don't know where to turn, when we don't know what to do, what I want to do is give you hope and encouragement that there is a God that loves you, that cares about you, that goes before you no matter what you face.